Good to be with you this fine Thursday morning, and uh, I want to welcome you to our time together in God's Word. We are in some rather heavy uh, words right now, a rather heavy passage. The book of Jude uh, is where we are currently parked, currently studying in the book of Jude, and so... um, If you follow along in your own Bible, that's where you're going to want to turn. Otherwise, uh, we will have text on the screen for you, and uh, you can follow along there as we try to work our way verse by verse. I I say this is heavy because it really hits uh, right where we live. It's heavy because it talks about things that we'd rather not talk about, and uh, so uh, it it is a little bit hard to... Uh, to to listen to in uh, 
in some regards, but we have to. We have to, we have to look at what it says. We have to understand what it says. We have to understand what it means for us today. And so uh, that is what we do. And, and I will not apologize for what will be said today um, because I am handling the sacred text of Scripture. I am handling the unchanging Word of God. And uh, uh, while it may strike against culture, it might even strike against the way we feel about certain things, uh, we do want to handle uh, God's word as it is God's word. So let me get us into the passage here this morning, and uh, I'll start with the, the the very positive stuff. It says, Jude, a servant, a bond servant, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. We've already highlighted that these men were half-brothers of Jesus. I say half because Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, uh, and uh, James and uh, Jude would have been uh, the sons of Joseph uh, biologically, so in that sense, half-brothers. To those who have been called, who are loved by God and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you, in fact, he says, I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, uh, the idea of of all that Christ has done for us and something that we can look at and focus on uh, all around the world. It doesn't matter where one resides. The fact is that if if one is a believer in Christ, we share this common salvation, be it, uh, be it in Florida, be it in Kentucky, be it in Kenya, be it in the Philippines, be it in... Um, Pennsylvania, be it here in Maine, Rhode Island, wherever it is, we share this common salvation if we are legitimate believers in Jesus. He says, I, although I wanted to write about the salvation that we share, I wanted, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So, the idea of contending, and we talked about how it is that we have to contend. I mean, before we can contend, we have to settle in our own minds, will we will we surrender ourselves to the inerrant, unchanging teaching of God's Word, or do we want to come up with some other hybrid theology, hybrid philosophy, a, a, high, a hybrid uh, philotheology, philosophy and theology mixed together? Do we want to come up with something like that of our own that then has not necessarily any legitimacy to it because it is it is a hybrid derived of uh, mere human thought and eternal word of God? And that is where some currently land. Well, I, I see things this way. Okay, I'll accept these things about Scripture. Listen, if we're not going to accept all of it, then then why should we accept any of it? We accept all of it as it is. And so Paul writes the words to contend for the faith once for all and trust of the saints. Verse 4 is where we pick up. It says, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago. It's not necessarily speaking about those certain men, but it's speaking about men who uh, want to change the word of God. It's speaking about men who... Um, Anyone who would want to deny the truth of Scripture and who'd want to say, well, we can cut that out and cut that out and cut that out. 
Now, yes, there is certainly a a difference, a change between Older Testament and New Testament. We are not obligated. We are not bound to all things, uh, all the civil uh, and ceremonial uh, law found. Let me stick with the ceremonial law found in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. We are not bound to have to go back and practice those things um, because those things have been done away with because Christ has now fulfilled them. Um, so the, the condemnation comes with those who, I talk about throwing things out. You look at the New Testament, you look at the, the things that it, it, from Old Testament to New Testament have remained unchanged because there are many things that have remained unchanged from what was said in the Old Testament to you, the very same things that you read in the New Testament um, especially things about sexuality is unchanged. It's the same as you read it in the Old Testament text. You read it in the New Testament text. It seems that the standard over over five thousand years, or or four thousand years, or three thousand years, remained the same um, during the period of the writing and and right on up through the, the time of now the Church Age. Verse four said this. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. I shared yesterday the illustration of the water moccasin slipping in among these four children that were playing in the reservoir down in Texas, uh, and they they noted the uh, after a, a period of time they noted that uh, this water moccasin that they had not seen before had slipped in among them. Uh, and that's exactly what can happen in the life of the church, people who secretly slip in among you, people who are godless. They change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. What what are we talking about here? What we're talking about is people who slip in and want to say, uh, it would be like people slipping in saying, you know, um, just just love Jesus but you can basically live how you want to live. Uh, those people have slipped in, in a broad sense, among Christendom, uh, among especially Western Christianity. Those people have slipped in among us, and and the warning that Paul that Jude is giving, I almost said Paul, uh, that Jude is giving, is to be careful of those who would slip in in that way and bring. Uh, disastrous uh, results among you. It says they are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. Uh, I mean, they would want to bring the practices of Ephesus uh, and Diana into the church. Uh, the progressive Christian movement. Uh, I, I was just doing a quick uh, little research uh, on the progressive Christian movement that that is out there and. I just want to share with you a few of the points of the progressive Christian movement. They have a they have a uh, a low view of Christ. One of the hallmarks of progressive Christianity is the way they view Jesus. The orthodox view of Jesus, of course, is that He's the divine Son of God, worthy of our worship, worthy of our adoration, worthy of our allegiance, uh, worthy of our surrender. I'm adding some words here. Um, and worthy to be praised. But, of course, that's not what progressive Christians believe. They believe that Jesus isn't so much the divine Son of God, 
but rather a moral example for us to follow on how to be nice to people. Jesus is more like a big brother that sets a pattern and we walk in his footsteps. That's partly true, of course. We do follow Jesus' example, but progressive Christians make that the main thing. Jesus is just a picture of what we can be and what we can do, and his main point is just to set an example for us. This lowers Jesus, uh, the view of Jesus. Now, I'm sharing with you from uh, Dr. Michael Kruger, who is the president of um, Reformed Theological Seminary uh, down in Sanford, Florida. Uh but that's one of the hallmarks. The second hallmark is they're fo- is focused on moralism, not on salvation. Uh, the highest goal of the Christian life for progressive Christianity is just to have you be a good person. If you just be good, that's all you need. Um, moral. And, I mean, even churches like ours that traditionally have reached a, a moralistic view can go down that slippery slope. As long as you're a good person, that's all that matters. Uh, if you don't have any sort of sense that Jesus is someone to be worshipped, he's, then he's just someone to be emulated. The highest goal of Christian life for progressive Christianity is just to have you be a good person, just follow certain rules, be kind to your neighbor, uh, help people out, be good in that way. And and that is a marker of progressive Christianity that uh, that doesn't uh, lift up Christ. Another mark, progressive Christianity, it downplays our fallenness. The third mark, uh, if you're a good person, uh, you have a low view of sin, which is another thing that progressive Christianity has. It's the idea that people really aren't that bad after all. Uh we're good people at the core and therefore really do have an opportunity to be even better. Um, progressive Christian circles, there's a downplaying of the word sin. We talked about that yesterday. There's certainly no interest in talking about the wrath of God on sin. Uh, God is not portrayed as at all disturbed by or upset with sin. Uh, it's another one of the hallmarks of progressive Christianity. So there, there are four. Um, there are four uh, markers of progressive Christianity, something that, of which we need to be aware, something of which we, uh, we be on guard about progressive Christianity and its, uh, its positions on things, its uh, views on things. We... We just be careful of these things and be aware of these things because it, th- those things also show up in what Jude is writing about here uh, in the book of Jude. So let's go back into the text. Um, notice what it said. They deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. He says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. I mean, there is a warning here in in this passage, uh, those who do not believe. I mean, yes, there's the deliverance, and we can look and go, well, in America was a Christian nation, blah, 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 blah. We were a Christian nation. We are no longer a Christian nation. There are those who would want to argue that view, 
Listen, don't be one of those 50% who believes everybody else sees the things the way you do. I mean, it just seems casual observation seems to indicate by and large that that there is, I mean, if voting in the last uh, decade is any uh, indicator, how often are uh, our votes nearly 50%? Someone wins at, in fact, it's probably longer than the last decade, someone wins at just a tad over 50%. Uh, just looking simply at politics and voting, uh, I've I've watched this before where well everybody nobody wants well we better be careful because it seems to me we are we are at least in the United States so divided right now. Uh and the reason that we are divided is our lack of the high regard for God uh, and, and even among Christians and the movement of the the progressive Christian movement has an impact on that in certain ways. I mean, you can talk to other believers who claim to be believers, who claim to be followers of Christ, who claim to be Christians, but yet if you begin to get into some of these issues, all of a sudden they backpedal away from you and look at you like you are anathema uh, because you believe in the wrath of God, because you believe in the coming judgment of God, because the Bible teaches it. Uh, they would say, well, we need to have a different understanding today. That, that would be the approach uh, that they would take uh, in regard to these things. What was the issue? I mean, it says in verse 5, these people were delivered, the, the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, but then they were later destroyed. I mean, the idea, and you're saying you're talking about loss, loss of salvation. Well, perhaps, maybe not loss of salvation, but I do believe that the Lord could take his people and bring judgment upon his people. He could eliminate from this earth some of his people as an act of judgment. Now, again, perhaps not loss of salvation, or maybe I shouldn't say perhaps, but but not loss of salvation, but um, certainly loss of reward. And it says in first, in fact, let me take us over to this passage. We've been here before. We've looked at it before. I will show it to you again uh, what it has to say in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, If any man builds on this foundation, a foundation is Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, and notice that that is capitalized. Most translations will capitalize the day. In fact, it doesn't just call it day, time. It says the day a definite article, meaning the day of judgment. The day of judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I mean, again, there is this aspect of judgment that we have to consider that it is taught. Paul teaches it here. Jude taught it. Uh, John taught it. Peter teaches it. Jesus taught it. I mean, we have to face the reality that there will be a judgment that will come. Make sure that your salvation is legitimate. How do you make sure your salvation is legitimate? A, you have to answer the question, have I received Christ? Have I trusted in Christ? Do I believe in Christ for who he says he is? That That's part one. Part two, is there evidence in, in how I live my life? Is my life changing? Am I 
surrendered to the things of God? Am I surrendered to the ways of God? Am I interested in the things of God? If if you say no to those things, then you just may not be saved, actually. And I think there are a lot of people uh, who go around parading as, uh, in, in fact, perhaps even de- deceived and deluded themselves into thinking that they're okay, thinking that they're saved, when all the indicators point, point the opposite direction. They might even attend churches. But when it comes to the interest in the things of God, there, there's there's very little interest. It's, it's a social reason that they go to church or they go to church because the family went to church or or they go to church hoping maybe that someday they'll be good enough. That's moralism, friends. The only way to salvation that we have to a- uh, answer for ourselves is, have I trusted in Christ? And does that faith show up in how I live my life? Is my life changed? Uh, do, do I regard God's will and God's desire as the greatest uh, priority of my life? Again, just Jude brings all these things to bear uh, to us, and, and so we consider what he says, and he points out those who believed, but in the end experienced destruction. Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude, and verse 5, you already know all this, and I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Then he goes on and says, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. There we see the word day capitalized again. And so we we understand that there is a day of judgment coming. The Bible clearly teaches this coming day. And so we need to be aware of this. We need to acknowledge this, um, this coming day. Uh, the angels do not keep their positions. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the, the fall of a third of the angels from heaven. Uh, that's what he's talking about. Uh, you can go back to uh, Isaiah 14. You can go to Ezekiel 38, I believe it is, if I remember correctly, uh, and read about the fall of the angels from heaven. Uh, I mean, these angels were with God. They were celestial. In fact, they still are celestial beings. Uh, who were uh, created by God, who were in the presence of God, but decided in pride to go their own way. And so in that pride, God had to eradicate sin from heaven. And so those angels were tossed out of heaven. uh, And now they are kept in the darkness until that day, as it says here, bound with chains for for judgment on that great day. And it goes on in verse 7. I mean, he talks about uh, Egypt, um, those who who were delivered but later destroyed. He talks about the angels who were with God but then were cast out. And now he gets into uh, on the earth again in another way, verse 7, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. If you remember the the, the text, I mean, um, they they were burned up. I paused for a moment. Uh, Take us back there. 
Uh, Genesis chapter 13 is, I believe, the first place we read about Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me take us there. Uh, this is where uh, Abram and Lot separate. This is before Abram was named Abraham. Uh, verse 13, verse 10, uh, Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of Jordan was well watered like the garden, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. And it says Abraham or Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And it says, now the men of Sodom were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north to south and east. And all the land you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. Now, then where does it go from here? You jump over to chapter 19. Uh, and we'll see the rescue of Lot. But then in chapter 19 of the book of Genesis, we see the destruction uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, that, that will happen. Uh, God destroys Sodom. It uh, says, by the time that, that Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. The Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heavens. Thus he overthrew these cities and the entire plain. Now you can go back and read about the, I mean, how how the people of Sodom uh, and Gomorrah uh, knocked on the door. They were wanting, uh, uh, Lot had taken young men, uh, probably angelic beings, uh, into his home. Uh, and it's, it tells you, the text tells you that uh, they came pounding on the doors they said, send them out that we might have sex with them. I mean, they were right there literally pounding on the doors, the the, the men of Sodom uh, wanting to have sex with with those young men that were brought into uh, uh, Lot's home. God brought destruction. And, and, and so we read about this in the book of Jude, and this is what Jude is referencing as these passages and again, I know this is tough sledding, but we have to realize, take all that the Bible teaches to us. Jude chapter 1, verse 7, similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah's surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual morality and perversion. They serve as an example those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Just looking at what it says, the sexual morality and perversion. Do we not have this issue going on in America today? Do we not have this issue going on perhaps across the globe, but especially in the westernized countries, we see this taking place. Now, look, I'm not trying to minimize the fact that some people are drawn toward uh, same-sex sexuality. I'm not trying to minimize that. It's a reality. Uh, you would be surprised the number of Christians that I've talked to that have either had experiences, same-sex experiences, um, somewhere in their life, perhaps B.C. Or, or or B.C., meaning before Christ in their life, or even some after receiving Christ in their life uh, uh, have gone down that road. And, and there is a certain sense of allurement that is there. There are women that, that have turned to women because they find a whole lot more emotional support from another woman than they ever found from a man. And, and, uh, and that, that's the truth. But that doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's godly. It doesn't mean that it's God's way. Uh, it, 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 
It means it's something that we turn from and turn toward God. We acknowledge this is what God says. Now, I, I have people who will, uh, who will say to me things like, uh, you know, we, we understand more now, and now I have love, and, you know, I'm happy in my life. You can be happy and unholy and will face the judgment of God. This is exactly what he says in verse 7. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual morality perversion. They serve as an, as an example of those who suffer, and the implication here is of those who will also suffer the same punishment of eternal fire. He goes on, he says, in the same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, and they slander celestial beings. Now, this will get into something interesting that I don't know that I'm prepared to, to fully answer, and someone has asked the question about this before uh, here in verse, uh, verse 8 and 9 where it says, but even uh, the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. I mean, uh, it is an eye rebuke, uh, and this is the question. I mean, just, just looking at the text, it isn't that I rebuke Satan, but Michael, the archangel, the highest of the angels, there's Michael and Gabriel, the highest of the angels, uh, he was disputing with the devil. He he did not say, "I rebuke you." And so here's the question: Can we rebuke? We can, we, we can say the Lord rebuke you. We we ask the Lord to uh, protect. And, and here's a question: I mean, this is something that bears further research. I I don't want to give unequivocal, absolutist sounding teaching on this this morning because I need to study it more. But the implication of this passage is that we shouldn't be going around telling Satan, "I'm going to kick you in the." derriere or those types of things because the implication is according to jude that even michael the highest of angels did not take that type of posture with satan but and, and literally wrestled with with says with the devil meaning perhaps the the devil satan himself about the body of moses says he did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him but said the lord rebuke you i mean i think we need to be careful as, as we delve into the spiritual realm and the power that is there. There is a story that is told that happened out at our local Christian camp years and years and years ago about this little gal that had come from one of the islands. I don't remember if it was Haiti or Puerto Rico or you know somebody here might remember the story, uh, but this little gal took on several big male counselors and just kind of thrashed them about uh, and was hard to get pinned down because she was demon-possessed. Uh, and the demons have incredible power, and it's a true story. You, you can ask Dave Sheldon about it. Somebody else I talked to in the last six months uh, relayed that same story. They were there and uh, uh, told me about this, and, and I've heard other stories, missionaries and other people that have talked about the the absolute power of Satan. Now, Having said all that, I also want to say I am one who is quite confident in my position in Christ. Uh, I do not fear the devil. We don't need to fear the devil. We need to be aware of his slippery tactics, but we do not need to fear him. We should reserve our fear for God and for God alone. 
story told of Dwight L. Moody. I believe it was Dwight L. Moody who was sleeping. Uh, I think he'd gone over to uh, England to visit his uh, uh, contemporary, his colleague, uh, Spurgeon, if, if I have the story correctly, but I have this part of the story correctly. He was awakened by a form at the foot of his bed. He said, oh, it's you, and rolled over and went back to sleep. And, and he relayed the story the next day, and they said, well, who was it? Well, it was the devil, but I'm so confident in who I am in Christ. I just ignored him. I mean, for us as Christians to come to the point where we're not confident in, in ourselves, but we're confidence is in Christ, to have that type of confidence. Let me... Let me continue on a little bit further because I want to leave us in a good spot to pick up tomorrow. Uh, these men, verse 10 says, speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasonably, uh, unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Here's this idea of these false teachers and, and rushing for profit into proclaiming, quote-unquote, God's word and God's prophecy uh, and doing it for sordid gain, as did Balaam. And you can go back and read about Balaam. I think it's the book of Numbers, chapter 22, if I remember correctly. Google Balaam, and he'll come up. Uh, they have been destroyed uh, in Korah's rebellion, that we do not be rebellious people. Verse 12 says, these men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit, uprooted twice dead. I mean, these are rather sobering words that Jude speaks about these ones. They, they show right up. They sit right among you. They don't have any qualm about who they are. Um, but clouds without rain, they disappoint. You look for clouds with rain today, especially with all the how dry it is all across the country. In fact, in many places of the world, uh, blown along by the wind. They're, they're just going along with the wind, uh, blown here and there. Uh, and then like autumn trees that don't have any fruit and that uh, because there is no rain and because the winds come, they're just uprooted, blown right over by the winds. They are wild waves at the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers, they're fault finders, they follow their own evil desires, they boast about themselves, and they flatter others for their own advantage. Well, that's the warning. I'm going to stop there. Tomorrow we will pick up at verse 17. At least I will stop in the text there. Um, what a warning. It's sobering, and I would encourage you to read through this. I would encourage you to do more research. I'd encourage you to find some YouTube videos, perhaps teaching on Jude, and see what others have to say uh, about this. There, To me, it is a clarion call. It is, an, it is the trumpet blast of warning to make sure that we are not these, when, uh, these ones. And friends, we need to be burdened for those who are especially those who've deluded themselves into believing they are blessed by God when, in fact, 
They are cursed by God and will experience the wrath of God in eternal judgment. We need to be burdened for our world and burdened for the positions that they take. It's hard stuff, but this is what the scriptures teach. Some would rather just ignore this. That's a sign of a false teacher. False teacher would never teach in the book of Jude. I'm not saying I'm the greatest teacher, but I'm also. I would also say I'm not ignoring anything that the Scripture has to say. Uh, it, it is a clarion call to make sure that we are walking with Christ. It's a clarion call for those who uh, who seem to want to go in a different way than what the teaching of Scripture is. And uh, if that is you, friend, if that is uh, if that is you, I, I I challenge you, I encourage you, I beg you, I plead you. I plead with you to turn from your ways. Turn to Christ. Acknowledge the air. Agree with Scripture. Repent of your sins. Turn to Christ. Seek his forgiveness that you might have eternal life. It may mean a change of life. It may mean that you have to uh, walk away from some things. Uh, That's what it may mean. But I urge you, I plead with you, I beg you to agree with Christ on these matters, to acknowledge that there is a day of judgment coming and to make sure that you are on the right side of God in the day of judgment. That's my prayer. Lord, I I pray for my friends. I pray for anybody who's listening, uh, whether it's during the live hour or at some other time, anybody that's not a follower of Christ, that they would be moved, that they would be uh, convicted, that they would repent, they would turn to Christ. Lord, I pray for loved ones that so many of us have that are living the lifestyle that we've read about today and think that they are perfectly blessed by God. Lord, would you convict them of the delusion that is in their, uh, convicted in their being and that they would repent and turn to Christ. Lord, that is our prayer. Draw them, we pray. Lord, help us to to live with all humility, realizing that but for the grace of God, there go I. So, Father, we pray for our world. We plead for for people who are deluded and think that they're okay with God and they're not. And we pray for those who, who have no regard for God whatsoever, that you would convict them of your reality, Convict them of the truth of Jesus Christ, the historical truth of Jesus Christ, and draw them to faith in Christ and repentance. Lord, hear our prayer for our world in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, that's a wrap for today. I will get you off into your day. You have a great day. We will see you tomorrow.